Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at a worship service Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. How many, uh, how many know why God saved you? Why God saved you? It's in the title. To know him and to obey him. He did not save you to go, so you go to heaven. If that's, your, if that's your thought, you want to go to heaven, well, that's an, an admirable thought. But that's not why God saved us. He saved us to bring us into a relationship with him. And the essence of relationship is to what? Is to know and to be known. Does he know us? He wants us to know him. And he wants us to, to do the things that he's already set out for us. Things he's prepared for us before the foundation of the world. He wants us to know his will and to do his will. Is that the best? Yeah, the Bible tells us that. That God's will is what? Good, pleasing, and perfect. My prayer every day is, Lord, don't let me miss your will today. I'm reporting for duty. So he saved us so that we might know him and that we might obey him. I suggested to you last week that on Judgment Day, and there will be a Judgment Day, every one of us are going to stand before Christ and give an account for what we did, either good or bad, while we're in the body. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. So on Judgment Day, when we stand before Jesus, what two questions might he ask? What's the first one? Do you know me? What's the second question? Did you do my will? By the way, I filled in all the blanks for you. <laughs> Friday night they cheered. <laughs> do you know me? That stems from the parable of the virgins. You recall we read that in Matthew chapter 25? We don't want to be like the five foolish virgins who were shut out. We want to be prepared. We want to have the oil in our lamps, so to speak. We want to have the Holy Spirit in us. And the second question, did you do my will, stems from the parable of the talents. We want to be like the first servant or the second servant, not like the third servant, who he describes as what? Wicked and lazy cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that sound horrible? What kind of people do you suppose God desires? What kind of people does he desire? People who know him and obey him. Right? God desires the people who, based on their love relationship with him, are ready and willing to please him by doing his will in most things. <laughs> All things, right? Doing his will is simply another way of describing obedience. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Obedience is to be relational. It's relational. It's a relational thing. In other words, doing God's will only happens when there exists an underlying intimate relationship with him. You can't, unless you have that relationship, you can't honor him and you can't obey him. You can try, you can do religious works, but you run out of gas. You do not have the oil in you to do it. Am I making sense? If we have no relationship with God, how could we ever know his voice or recognize his voice? Does God speak? How many know that God speaks? Does he speak like once a week on Sunday mornings? Or does he speak all the time? He's speaking all the time. The question is, do we, do we know his voice? Am I sensitive to his voice? Do I, do I know when he's speaking to me? They're counterfeit voices, aren't there? Do I know his voice? 
I submit to you from what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 when he talks about the shepherd and the flock and the sheep who follow him because they know his voice. They don't follow any other shepherd. And if you know anything about shepherds and the sheep, there was a, there's a really kind of an intimate relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep knew their shepherd. When, a, when another shepherd would come along, they would not follow that other shepherd. How do we develop the ability to know? How do we develop the ability to recognize God when he's speaking to us, to, to know his voice? I believe Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we are to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought. Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we say that we are dedicated to the Lord, when we say we are dedicating ourselves to him, that dedication includes our minds, doesn't it? Most of our problems begin with our thought life. Fundamentally. And a thought life that we do not necessarily bother to examine as to the origins of those thoughts or rather even to the implications of those thoughts. Where's this thinking going to lead me? If I persist in this thought, where's this going to lead me? What are the implications of it? Where does this thought emanate from? Where have I been focusing? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, most of you are aware, is known as the fall of man theologically. God created man perfectly. Man fell to imperfection because of a choice and a decision that they made, right? So back in Genesis chapter 3, did the fall of man happen by force or by suggestion? Suggestion. It happened by suggestion. It was all by smooth words with untrue suggestions. What were those suggestions? Mm. Did God really say? You'll not surely die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Ooh. You see, the fall came as a result of a battle between the mind of man and an astute spiritual enemy. And we know who won that battle, don't we? Adam and Eve did not take any of those proposed thoughts, suggestions, intimations from Satan. Did not take them captive to the obedience of God. Had they done so, the enemy would have been exposed to the light and ultimately would have been found out. And you and I would not be in the dilemma we experience, right? All Eve had to do was to tell the snake to put his ideas on hold while she checked with her husband and with the Lord. Excuse me, I do not make those decisions in our house. You'll have to check with my husband. All Adam had to do was stand up and say, get out of here, you snake, leave my wife alone. And the serpent would have had to leave because God gave the man dominion over creation. What was Satan doing in his temptations? He was really attacking the very character of God. And this is what happens every single day. God's character is attacked with suggestive thoughts, words that are untrue and ultimately corrupting. How did he attack God's character? Well, he started by calling into question God's word. Did God really say? Hmm, I don't know. Is it important to know God's word? Absolutely. If you don't know his word, how can you know his will? How can you then bring every, cap, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? 
The second thing he did was he called into question the goodness of God. Is God good? All the time. We sing that, right? Sin begins when we question God's word or we question his goodness. Doesn't mean that you can't have a question, but when you question it, you call it into question. And you call into question his goodness. Is God really good? And that's one of the perennial questions. If God was so good, if he was, if he was love, why this, why that, why that, why that, right? We hear that? He is good. He's perfect in every way. Eve trusted her own judgment. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many times do we lean on our own understanding? We don't bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We do what's expedient. First thing that pops into our mind, whoa! Most of us are, tend to be reactionary rather than be responsive. Reactionary is an emotional, thoughtless process. Responsiveness is a thoughtful, expanded process. We're often our own worst enemies, aren't we? Yes. How's a person's life changed? How's a person's life transformed? We know by receiving Jesus, God comes into your life, his Holy Spirit comes into your life, seals you, takes up residence, and begins a process. Now, what's important to that process? What do we do? What's our cooperation with him? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by what? The renewing of your minds. We come back to our minds again. How do I think? What am I thinking? What influences my thinking? Every thought I submit to you needs to be checked out as to its origin. And how do we check it out? How do I know this is God? How do I know where this thought came from? Because I'm reading my Bible every month. I just read a recent survey last week, and uh, I think it was done either by uh, the Barna Research Group or Lifeway, one of those research groups, and they're, they're always quizzing Christians and kind of get the temperature of the Christian church today, and uh, the, the crazy thing is they found that the majority of Christians read their Bible maybe once a week, maybe once a week. Is that crazy? Is that enough, do you think? No, absolutely not. How do we check out these thoughts? Because we're learning his way. We're learning his will. How do we do that? We read his book. I'm reading your book. I'm reading your book. I'm getting to know you. I'm getting to know how you think. I'm beginning to realize how much you really do love me. I'm drawing closer to you. I'm taking a, a class on marriage. I want to learn your will for marriage. I'm taking a class on how to be a dad who can faithfully disciple his children in his household. Is that needed today? I want to know where I fit in the body of Christ. Not enough just to come to church and sit, right, Michelle? You want to know where you fit. I'm taking a class on spiritual gifts. And on and on and on and on and on we go. You open your bulletin week after week after week, and there are these marvelous, rich, equipping, equipping opportunities to know better his will so that I can better take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I can know better his will, and I will do it. Am I making sense? You see, the more 
we search him out, the more he really is the priority, the more we'll want to do what he wants regarding every issue of our life. He loves us with a love that we frankly cannot fathom. It's just, it's amazing how much he actually loves us. You can know that intellectually, but how do you know that love? How many have ever really been in love? Well, not all of you, I'm sorry. And you know, you know what it's like to be loved, don't you? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a warmth, there's a security, there's a confidence, there's an assurance, there's a sense of a belonging. I'm loved. I'm loved. If we understand that just sitting in this temporal realm, how, how much more when you begin to realize how much he loves you? It should blow our minds every day. God, you love me. You love me. Warts it all. Right, Sydney? He loves us. How, do we get, how are we going to know that if we don't really know him and we're not living to do his will? As we do that, we find out that his will really is the best. It's not an egregious thing to be obedient. He wants the best for us. He loves to speak to us. If only we'll shut out all the busyness of the world so that we can hear him. If you're unaccustomed to learning to hear him, Jesus has a suggestion, doesn't he? What should you do? Turn off your phone. Go into your room, close the door. I say, I'm here. I'm, I'm shutting out all the business. I, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And I just wait. I wait. And all of a sudden, he begins to speak. So special. You know what the first thing he tells me? I love you. I love you. I need to hear that. I need to hear that. All the distractions and the background noise, they're present, aren't they? Many times intentionally, and certainly they're taken advantage of by our enemy to keep us off track and to keep us focused on the wrong things. The battle is for our mind which will lead to our heart and our soul and eventually to our spirit. The battle is serious with harmful, even deadly consequences if we don't pay attention. Let me, let me posit a, a, an experiment, a suggestion. What if we, just as an experiment, with taking every thought captive by practicing the art of praying before we speak. Was that a good idea? How many of us actually stop and pray before we open mouth? My mom used to tell me, engage brain before opening mouth. I think if nothing else, if we stopped ourselves before speaking, we'd sure say a lot less, wouldn't we? And for some of us, that would not necessarily be a bad thing. James tells us everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. You see, if we did this, what we would learn is a whole new lifestyle of obeying God by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You would stop. In other words, you'll find that you don't necessarily have to say whatever pops into your mind. You'd be less apt to gratify the desires of the sinful nature because you'd be learning, again, what it means to live by the Spirit. If you remain silent, 
and ask God what to say, to whom to say it, if you should say anything at all? God, should I say anything? How would you have me respond? Would you have me just shut up and listen? I think you'll be amazed in your daily experience when you begin to actually do what God tells you to do. If, you're, if you can barely hardly hold yourself back, you've got, you got to say something. You've you just got to say something. People say that to me all the time. Well, I had to say something. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Did you pray? Did you stop and pray before you opened your mouth? No. That's why you're here talking to me. That's why you're in trouble. It's called obedience. It's simply called obedience. It produces the life and the power of Christ in our everyday lives. If you want to know his life, if you want to know his power, you start walking faithfully with him. Lord, I want to do your will. And as you do that more and more and more, you're going to see his life. You're going to recognize and experience his power in your life. You'll begin to see the very transformation of your life, as Paul tells us. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus is spoken of as having learned obedience from the things he, what? Suffered. Is suffering our favorite thing? Hardly not, no. Is suffering a skilled teacher? Oh, yes. Jesus learned the full meaning of the cost of obedience. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. How are we supposed to learn obedience? Is our experience to be totally unlike that of Jesus? If he suffered, what about us? We're going to suffer too. In fact, Peter tells us he left, it as a, left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Doesn't that sound exciting? Suffering. It's a part of life. But God has promised to redeem everything, didn't he? Sometimes we say, I'm suffering. Is God mad at me? No. Is God punishing me? No. Are you sure? Yes. How can you say that? Because he already punished Jesus for me. Well, why am I going through this? Because he's growing you up. He's making you an elite athlete. When you train, for if you're, if you're ever an athlete or something, you know that training is not the most delightful thing. Isn't that true? Ugh. And it's painful. And the coach says, come on, one more, one more. You can do it. One more lap. And you're just agonizing. But you have a goal in mind. You want to finish. And you want to finish well. And you know that you'll not finish well if you're not trained. There is a measure of suffering. that in Suffering in our life as Christians is a redemptive thing. Now, I'm not suggesting you say, oh, okay, Lord, bring it on. But I'm suggesting when it comes, realize that God is at work in your life and he is doing this marvelous transformation, teaching you to be obedient, teaching you to trust him. When trials and difficulties and suffering comes, those are the times when it's most difficult to really trust him. And I'm not talking about falling back into a posture of resignation. I'm talking about being proactive, trusting. I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to lean into this. In fact, Jesus told us in John's Gospel, chapter 16, that in this world we will have trouble. But he says what? Take heart, for I've overcome the world. And so can we. How? How? Through our obedience. But there's not going to be any real obedience unless I'm first getting to what? Know him. I'm not just jumping through hoops. 
I want to know him more and more and more and more. So my obedience is more and more and more dynamic and more productive in my life and for those around me. If we suffer, it's to teach us how to obey. It's not punishment. It's training. It's discipline. Discipline always has its eye to the future, not its eye to the past. Punishment has its eye to the past. Jesus has already taken care of all that. Are we settled on that matter? His eye is toward the future. He says, come on, I'm taking you to a place that you're going to love when we get there. <laughs> it's going to be a little difficult, but trust me, trust me. Do things my way. If you don't know him, you're not going to be confident to do things his way. You're going to rely on your own understanding. You're going to do the quick and dirty. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 says that Jesus became the source of salvation to all who obey him. And again, let me reiterate. We will not obey him if we don't know him. It's not a matter of just being a nice person. It's not a matter of being a good person. It's not a matter of being religious. It's a matter of being in an intimate, growing, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you do, how do you know you are? Because you love to do his will. I think Jesus said that, didn't he? I love to do your will. How many would like to be, to be absolutely confident you're at peace with God? How many would like to know the peace of God that passes all understanding? Yeah. All this falls into that same milieu, if you will. I want to be at peace with God. And I want to know that peace. I want to experience that peace substantially now in this life. Can we? Yes. but that will never occur until we submit our thinking to his influence. Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. Saying the same thing we're talking about, just a little different words, right? In all of your ways acknowledge him. Lord, I want to do this your way. I'm not sure what you want. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to search your word. I'm not going to make this decision until I know your will. You can be confident in being at rest with him, and you can know the peace of God. You can know that when you make that decision, I'm at rest, I'm, I'm peace, I've got peace. He's our father. Jesus says in that prayer when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. They looked at his life. They saw his life. They saw the fruit in his life. And they said, teach us how to pray like you pray. He said, pray this way. Our Father. Who do we pray to when you pray? You pray to the Father in the name of Jesus because he said we could. Anything you ask the Father in my name, by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He's our Father. He's our provider and as a father, we're to know him, we're to love him, and we're to obey him. We're to please him by doing his will in the present moment. This only happens when we obey him by participating in the battle for our minds and giving him first place. We saw last week in John's Gospel, chapter 14, that we prove our love for him by obeying his teaching. How do I know I love him? Because I obey, I do what he says. I know, what he, I know. He also said that if we love him, the Father will love us, and he and the Father will make their home in us. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus said that if we love him, we'll keep his teaching, part of which is to take every thought captive to him. Every thought. And as we do so, we will experience a deeper and deeper relationship, not only with Jesus, but with the Father. And they'll make their home with us. And again, we will know the peace of God. Nothing will perturb you. Nothing will move you. You'll be at peace. 
God's in control. He's got this. I don't need to freak out. I don't need to panic. I don't need to make some impetuous, impulsive decision. I'm going to wait on him. Bring every thought captive to him. Am I making sense here? Our obedience, note this please, our obedience is the measuring rod of the quality of our relationship. Our obedience is the measuring rod of the quality of our relationship. If I'm walking off doing my own thing, ignoring him, putting on a facade, pretending, walking in disobedience, I don't really know him. I don't really care to be truthful. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If we don't know the Lord, will not our fate and destiny be the same as those religious people we looked at last week at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7? Those people who said, Lord, 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 we did this in your name, we did this in your name, and he says to them what? He said, never did I know you. Never did I know you. The emphasis in the Greek text is on the word never. That's at the front of the sentence. That's emphasized. Never did I know you. Not just I don't know you. Never did I know you. Never. We never had a relationship. You're a pretender. You're a liar. Away from me, not you doers of good, but you doers of evil. Don't think you can commend yourself to me, he says. In other words, if we do not obey God, then he does not know us. That's a scary thought. Do we rationalize a lot? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a reason. There's another reason. You know, we have all these rationalizations. We need to quit our rationalizing. We need to stop it. We need to quit our excuse making. Anybody ever make excuses? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You don't understand. Yeah, but. Shut up. We need to quit our rationalizing, our excuse making, our blaming others. Well, you know, if so and so hadn't done this, I. We need to quit our whining, our complaining, our laziness, our complacency. We need to acknowledge the reality that God is not playing games. Sometimes I think we can be way too casual and cavalier about these issues, considering that our eternal destinies are at stake. The choice is ours, is it not? Each one of us are going to stand before him on Judgment Day and give an account. You're not going to be able to say, well, but it was my wife or my husband or my kids or the neighbor or you don't understand. No, God knows. We won't be able to blame yeah, the dog, yes. It was the dog. First John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But if anyone obeys his word, look at this, don't you love this? If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. The idea, it's ongoing, it's going to be perfectly made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Wow. How are you going to know? How are you going to know if you're walking as Jesus walked or if you're just playing a game thinking you're a good person? How are you going to know? Because I read his book. I walk with him. I listen to him. What if we don't? What if we don't walk as Jesus walked? 
Will everything turn out to be okay in the end? You know, it's, it'll all just kind of work out. No. Does grace mean that none of these things count or apply to us? A lot of people find shelter in His grace. They do not understand His grace. Grace does not nullify the law of sowing and reaping. Although I think God in His grace does sometimes blunt the harvest of our foolishness. He's coming. He's coming. He tells us that. I'm coming soon. Ah, he's been, we've been saying that for 2,000 years. He's coming soon. We don't know the day or the hour. He could come now, couldn't he? He's coming. And he will have his way and only his way. How many know that his kingdom is not a democracy? It's a dictatorship, albeit a benevolent dictatorship. And Christians today need to truly connect with that reality. We learn to obey by learning to listen. The more I'm around him, the things of him, the more I get a tuned ear tuned sense. I'm learning to listen. And the more I listen and the more I act on what I'm hearing, the more I trust him, the more I know him and love him. We learn to obey by consulting with him before we make decisions. Before we make decisions, I'm forever asking people, did you pray about that? Did you pray about that? Well, I had to make a decision. Did you pray about it? Make my job easier. Please, pray first. We learn to obey by checking with him before we speak, before we decide, before we act, before we intervene or interfere, before we make conclusions about people or issues. We, we, we... Sometimes, as Christians, can be really quick to judge, can't we? I know what you're about. Well, how do you know what I'm about? Unless you're about the same things. <laughs> we need to consult the Lord. And these consult consultations with Him is time well spent. It's good to wait on the Lord. If we do that, we'll stop making our usual mistakes, more careful about how and what thoughts we allow to influence us. And we'll stop being naive to the wiles and the schemes of the enemy. His purpose is to discourage us. If he can discourage you, you're dead in the water. Deceit. He wants to deceive us, lie to us. He's called a liar, father of lies. All ultimately to what? To defeat us. As we're walking more and more with the Lord, learning to know him and to do his will, we will stop blurting out our emotional and often hurtful words. I know none of you have done that. We'll become more poised in our behavior. I'm forever telling people, don't lose your poise. Do not lose your poise. Do not lose your poise. Easier said than done. But better done if I really am learning what? To know him. To obey him. Are you with me? And when we do this, we'll notice that people around us begin to change. They change with respect to us. They begin to notice that when we speak, there is a little bit more depth to when we speak. More meaning. That's probably, probably because the words we're using are not our words. <laughs> They'll be the words of the Holy Spirit. And then the words that we speak will help 
help that situation at hand rather than exacerbate it. All because simply we started to actually do what the Bible says to do. Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We begin to see the transforming of our lives by the renewing of our minds. We begin to realize that just because there's a particular thought in my mind, I don't have to let that thought become words, and I want to examine where that thought is coming from. It could be mine. It could be the enemy's. It could be from God. But I want to make sure I know what that thought is all about. Whatever its source, my job is to isolate it, take it captive, submit it to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ by asking him if I should keep it, discard it, examine it further before I let it become words. Now this could be overwhelming. If you're not accustomed to doing this, this could be overcoming, I mean overwhelming at first. It's like learning to ride a bike. Surely all of us at some point learned to ride a bike, right? First bike had what? Training wheels. Balancing on two wheels seemed like an impossible task. <laughs> but with persistence and determination, no matter how many times you fell off, you continually got up and you slowly were able to maintain your balance and gain confidence in your ability to stay on longer. I can do it. You see, there's no difference between learning how to ride a bike and learning how to control your mind as directed by God's word. No difference. You can do it. You just have to want to enough. You see, we're in essence learning how to put on the brakes to the motion going on in our minds. No longer reacting. We become more proactive, more circumspect by seizing the initiative. It's kind of like hitting the pause button on your TV remote. How many know what that is? Okay, a few of us. All right. The picture in our minds freeze, freezes. We can examine it now. We can think about it. We can analyze it. We can question it. We can begin to have dialogue with the Lord about it. About its origin, meaning, purpose, and effect. What would have happened, you think, if Eve had done that? Pause button. Let me think about this. Let me go talk to my husband about this. Let me go talk to God about this. We are to bring our thoughts into God's light. And as we do, our lives will never, ever, ever, ever be the same. And we will experience the marvelous change of salvation. Let me read to you from a famous passage, Joshua chapter 24. I love this passage. Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now he's talking to them just prior to entering in to take over the promised land. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. In other words, you can still live according to the world, you have to choose. But as for me and my household, as for me and my household, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. It's great when you're in church. Yes, yay, God. But we have to leave here. <laughs> It'll be another week before we're back here. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us out and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said, 
to the people. You're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He says, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do this. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. He forsake, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord your God, the God of Israel. Throw them away next week. No, now. Now. Step across that decision line now. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone, set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Shall we serve the Lord our God? Shall we, we commit today? I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. I'm going to spend time with him. I want to learn to hear his voice so that I can do his will. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. We love you this morning because you first loved us. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's take a moment prepare for the Lord's table. As you do so, give him thanks as you approach the table. Worship him. Praise him. If there's stuff in your life that should not be there, confess it, repent of it, and come and receive the elements.
Jesus said, remember me. But if you don't know him, how can you remember him? It's just that simple. You can know about him. You can go through some ritual that's largely devoid of any real substance or meaning. But to know him, to know who he is, that he gave up his glory and his majesty to come and take on our guilt and sin and die on a Roman cross, a cruel, horrible, ugly death for us. The more you know him, the more you appreciate him and what he's done. And you find yourself wanting to know and wanting to remember. Jesus, thank you. We simply say thank you. And we reaffirm our commitment to you and to your will and to doing it. Again, we ask you to help us this week. Keep us mindful to bring every thought captive to obey you. Thank you for this time, for these moments of remembrance. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Have your way in us. Your will be done. He said, the bread points us to his body, which was given for us. Eat the bread. The cup was the cup of the new covenant in his blood, which would be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Isn't it great to know that we're forgiven? We're forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Drink the cup. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.